You're listening to the CEO Series with Carl Moore on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Welcome to the CEO Series. I'm Carl Moore from McGill University. Each week, the CEO Series takes you inside the minds and lives of some of Canada and indeed the world's top leaders to discuss strategy, leadership, and today's pressing issues. And some of the world's top leaders have spent time with us. Justin Trudeau, Mohamed Yunus, Nobel Peace Prize winner, and recently Mark Shapiro, CEO of the Toronto Blue Jays. This show gives you a thin, well perhaps not so thin, slice of the kind of thoughtful leaders leading some of today's most successful organizations. Today I'm delighted to be speaking with Michael Denham, former CEO of the Business Development Bank of Canada, who led the Crown Corporation from 2005 until earlier this month. Thank you, Michael, for joining us today. Tell us about your early years. Where did you grow up and what did your family do? So I grew up in Toronto. Uh, I lived in Toronto uh, till going to university. And uh, my father and mother were, his classic uh, story, came from England after f- finishing graduate school for three years. And uh, here we are almost 70 years later and they're still, uh, my dad at least is still a proud Canadian. Uh, so he was a management consultant. So as I'm sure you'll ask me, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree because I was a consultant for much of my career. And he worked at a firm called uh, Stevenson and Kellogg and eventually A.T. Kearney and was a consultant from, gosh, the um, uh, mid-60s um, right up through until um, not that many years ago. Did he influence you to go into consulting or is that overstating the case? He influenced me to go into consulting, not directly, but I could just see how engaged and how much he loved doing what he was doing. And every project was different. Uh, Every project uh, uh, stretched and tested his brain. And I knew I would like that type of challenge. And the other thing, Carl, as I was deciding what type of career to do, I did one of those um, uh, almost early stage psychological assessments back in the early 80s. And the two things that uh, after I did this did the survey that, that rung out loud and clear was one, be a consultant or two, be a clergyman. So uh, not being very religious to begin with, I figured the consultant was a more natural path for me to pursue. What's common to those two paths uh, is um, a desire to help others. Because the end of the day, as a consultant, that's, that's what consultants, that's what good consultants do. They get the motivation out of helping others help their clients uh, solve their issues. And again, that's the essence of what drives um, um, a clergyman as well. So it's not, 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 not that surprising to have those two things atop the list. But after many years at McKinsey as, as a consultant, you were at Bombardier as SVP of strategy, then you know went back to Accenture and then here at BDC. So a couple times, big parts of your career have been not advising and helping but doing that. Or is that overstating what you did at, at, at Bombardier and here at BDC? No, no, very much it was a question of doing it. When I was at Accenture before um, BDC, it was also, I was the president of Accenture Canada, so it was doing. But it was it was doing, uh, at least in uh, Accenture and BDC, it was doing in an environment where the organization fundamentally exists to help and improve the performance of others. You're listening to the CEO Series. I'm Carl Moore from McGill University. And today I'm speaking with Michael Denham, former CEO of the Business Development Bank of Canada, who stepped down just earlier in July. So, you went to school in the States and then the UK. Why did you decide to go to a, a couple other, uh, you know, our closest countries, obviously, but why did you decide to go to the States and the UK for your education? Just curious. So Princeton for undergrad and then London School of Economics for a graduate degree. And I was fortunate enough to get a Commonwealth scholarship that basically um, um, uh, picked up most of the uh, expense going to the to the UK. So who could, who could say no to an all-expense-paid year at the London School of Economics? And that was um, interesting, Carl, in the sense that uh, the image the uh, LSE had, and this was back in the mid-80s, was still formed through its uh, uh, early days and its role in the 60s, 
where it was founded by um, Fabian Socialists. It was left-wing alternative to Oxford and Cambridge. And certainly during the 60s, since it was the closest school to Fleet Street, whenever Fleet Street needed images of a campus up in, uh, kind of up in arms, rebellious um, students, uh, it was the LSE. Uh, and then I got there uh, in the 80s, and this was Margaret Thatcher, uh, the big boom. It was a highly conservative place. Um, so it was actually kind of interesting uh, d- departure from uh, what I expected. And then for Princeton, it was uh, a question of, again, my parents uh, always uh, attached enormous value to the best possible education one could get, almost regardless of the expense and the cost. And uh, they just looked at the opportunities that going to Princeton would uh, allow me to pursue. And uh, they strongly encouraged me to go. I was lucky enough to get in. Um, so I went. Uh, but it's, a, again, it's one of those values that was passed on to, to me. My wife shares it as well, where whatever, whatever is best for the kids' education uh, and for their exposure, we'll find a way to do. Did you play hockey at Princeton? I played junior varsity hockey. So I was not there to play hockey, but while there, I played hockey. You're a center as a recall. So why? Lino Saputo is a goalie. So we can read, and I've interviewed Ken Dryden, so we can read all sorts of things into that. Is it natural for the CEO to be the centerman? Is that kind of just the thing that would naturally come to a leader? I don't, I don't think so. I think it's, uh, I've, uh, I've played left wing, I've played defense, I've seen great leaders at all positions. I think it just uh, so happened that I was, because uh, as a centerman, you know, there's ability to kind of go both ways, face off, so you're a bit of the, the kind of quarterback while out on the ice. So that, that came to me naturally, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't correlate um, leadership and business leadership with being a centerman. How big is BDC, just in terms of employees and number of offices? How big is it? So about 2,500 employees, about 110 odd offices uh, across the country. And uh, we're now about uh, $40 billion in assets. How big was it when you came here five or six years ago? Just, in, just has it grown in your, in your tenure? It's grown a lot. So when I started, we had, um, right now we're about um, $40 billion in assets. Uh, back then we were under 20, more or less with the same number of employees. So it's been really productive growth. We used to have about uh, 25 odd thousand uh, clients. Uh, now we're close to 70. So we've had great growth in uh, the number of clients we work with as well. You're listening to the CEO Series. I'm Carl Moore from McGill University. And today I'm speaking with Michael Denham, former CEO of the Business Development Bank of Canada, who stepped down just earlier in July. It's a Crown Corp. You worked for Accenture, McKinsey, Bombardier. What does it mean being a Crown Corp? How's it different? Every Crown Corp is different. So I'll just talk about how, how BDC and how it's different. So um, in many ways, it is similar to a private sector, private enterprise. In the sense, we have, we have our board. Um, we have our metrics that we're accountable for. Um, we have um, um, a compensation system that has a, a big chunk of variable pay, so folks are incentivized to perform. Uh, and all the, um, the kind of work days and the SAPs, all the systems that define uh, private enterprise, we, we have all that. Now, we're different in um, a couple of senses, uh, Carl. One is um, our shareholder is the government. It's not financial market. So in that sense, there's less of a quarter-by-quarter quarter financial uh, angle to how we're held accountable. Uh, but another big difference, which is actually a real strength, is that as a result, what motivates our people and me, frankly, is not our quarter-to-quarter financial performance, uh, but our sense of purpose. Uh, and we exist for a reason. That, is, that reason is to help uh, Canadian entrepreneurs succeed. And all that we do in terms of our new programs, um, the level of risk we take, um, our venture capital uh, investment platform, uh, we have to produce a return to be sustainable. We don't want to go cap in hand every year back to the government, so we generate profit from our balance sheet. Um, but we're all about our mandate and our purpose and making sure that we do what's right to support Canadian entrepreneurs. And, that, and, that, and that's, that's incredibly motivating to our people. BDC, EDC... What does BDC do and what does EDC do? How are they different? Both Crown Corps. So EDC's mandate is to help Canadian companies succeed internationally. 
And our, our mandate is to help um, uh, SMEs succeed. So if you're an SME, small, medium-sized enterprise that wants to succeed internationally, you have the um, luxury of having both BDC and EDC work uh, alongside to support you. So a lot of what we uh, do is uh, uh, highly collaborative with EDC. What we'll often do is we'll, there'll be a small business that has the, um, uh, we, would, we would know that we think has the, should have the appetite and uh, the desire to export. So we will uh, kind of help them at an early stage figure out what to export, market, et cetera. And then when it comes to actually uh, being ready to export, then they would work with EDC to get financial support and financing. But there's also a group within um, the Minister of, um, uh, of um, uh, International Trade called the um, Trade Commission Service. And these are folks that are on the ground, the great folks on the ground in markets all over the world that understand distribution channels, understand supply chains, uh, understand local legal issues. So once you're an SME ready to export, then we would hand you off to both EDC for financing and the Trade Commission Service for in-market help, and they would help you advance their plan. So it actually works quite well. We have our strengths. We work together, and uh, I think that, that, that small businesses and entrepreneurs are extremely well supported as a result. You're listening to the CEO Series, and today we're speaking with Michael Denham, former CEO of the Business Development Bank of Canada, BDC, as is better known, who stepped down earlier this month. Purpose is a central thing now driving increasingly the undergrads, but business more broadly. It's not just about making money and getting us richer, particularly the senior people. But, I mean, do you see that reflected more broadly than just BDC, which has always had purpose from its beginning? No, so it's interesting. So I, um, this is my, um, my, my last week in my role. So today the team had a big send-off for me. And they showed me um, kind of video highlights of things I'd done over the past number of years. And one of the highlights that I gave was a speech in France. I was invited by our sister organization called Baby France to give a speech. And they have this big event every year where they look at like 20,000 people in, a, in an arena. So I, I gave a, a sort of TED Talk. And before going, I racked my brain about what to speak about. Um, and I chose purpose because it is so important. And uh, what, what companies that are purpose-driven have going for them, uh, when that purpose is meaningful and well-communicated, it's incredibly attractive to customers. Customers love to deal with organizations that have a purpose. It's incredibly attractive to employees because when you work for one of these companies, your, your, your life, your job is more than just a paycheck. And if you can kind of lock in your customers and lock in your employees from an investor's perspective or from a lender's perspective, that's gold, right? So I think companies, especially, and we'd spend a lot of time with, with B Corps and purpose-driven companies, when they have that purpose um, and it's aligned and it, it, it's the lifeblood of the company, uh, it makes a huge difference in terms of customer stickiness, employee stickiness, and hence investor stickiness. So I think it's, a, um, an, it's an extremely important trend. It plays, it not plays, it is extremely important for millennials and folks that are younger than you and I. Um, and I think it's, um, for a company of any size, uh, I think it's um, extremely important strategically. But when I think of your career, like McKinsey and Accenture in their better moments was about helping their customers succeed. There was a sense of greater purpose in the better moments. Is that, does that make sense from your viewpoint? So when I'm at McKinsey, I think it's still true. But when I was at McKinsey, what we, what we um, were driven by was this, this sense of noble purpose, this almost Jesuit zeal to uh, improve uh, company corporate performance, which can get a little bit uh, over the top at times. But it is basically what, certainly back then, what defined the culture of the place it was fundamentally purpose-driven. We're speaking with Michael Denham, former CEO of BDC, who stepped down earlier in July. Coming up, we'll discuss the trends shaping BDC and the entrepreneurial landscape here in Canada. I'm Carl Moore from McGill University, and you're listening to the CO Series. 
top-notch insight from proven leaders. This is the CEO Series with Carl Moore on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Hello again, I'm Carl Moore from McGill University, and you're listening to the CEO Series. We're speaking with Michael Denham, former CEO of BDC Canada, as of earlier this month. Going back to McKinsey, McKinsey always loves three points. What are the three things you took away from McKinsey that are still part of you today? So the, what I took away from McKinsey, I don't think this would be um, uh, necessarily anybody else's top three. Um, the first thing, uh, context. When I joined McKinsey, I was uh, 20, barely 23. And I had one year of graduate school. And there I was trying to advise these really accomplished senior executives, right? What, what do I know? So um, what I took away from it was one, um, self-awareness. And you really got to really make sure you have to understand how you're being seen by those around you. And as a result, position um, yourself and what you say uh, accordingly. Uh, two was an assumption that hasn't been um, perfect, but has helped me a lot, is assume that people around you are well-intentioned. Uh, and McKinsey is an environment where you have capable, well-intentioned people. And then the clients that I was fortunate enough to work with um, uh, were also kind of well-intentioned, wanted to do what's right. Um, so my view towards those around me is that they are well-intentioned. That was the second thing I took away from uh, McKinsey. And then the third thing, um, and you know Paul Tellier well, um, this is a McKinsey thing that he reinforced, is um, he kind of divides life into um, um, simplifiers and complicators. And it's important to be a simplifier. Not to, not to make things simplistic, because that, that, that can be um, erroneous, but to make things simple. Because it's when you, when you, the act of synthesis to take a complicated matter and communicate in a simple way, um, that is a huge value add. And McKinsey's all about um, synthesis and communicating that synthesis in a very simple way. And that's a third thing that I've tried to um, uh, adhere to since. You're listening to the CEO Series. I'm Carl Moore from McGill University. And today I'm speaking with Michael Denham, former CEO of the Business Development Bank of Canada, who stepped down just earlier in July. One of the big things during the pandemic is that people said, CEOs I talked to, that our digitization program went forward by five years and one. How has digitization impacted BDC and how it goes about its mission? Has that changed and accelerated? So that's a um, really good way to put it. Uh, and we've seen the same thing here. So we, um, so day, literally March the 16th, I guess was the first day we all, we all worked from home. And uh, we assumed that our environment would hold up okay. Uh, it did. And we've been working flawlessly ever since. Uh, and we've really accelerated our um, uh, efforts to digitize ourselves. Our, our, our lens has really digitized the interface between us and our clients. Uh, and what uh, has caused us to accelerate things is a sense of how helpful it is to our clients to work with us digitally. So rather than come into the business center, fill in a bunch of forms to get a loan, um, we now allow them to basically on a self-serve basis, apply for and get loans on a totally touchless basis. Uh, and it's been clear to us since the pandemic, that's what, that's what people want. Uh, and even when they're kind of back, life gets quote unquote back to whatever the new normal is, um, they're gonna want the simplicity and the speed and the self-service nature of being able to interact with us like that. We've um, put a ton of um, new um, kind of thinking, perspective, intellectual content, if you will, on bdc.ca that's meant to be just advice available to entrepreneurs. Uh, they can tap into it when they want, how they want. Uh, and um, we've seen their behavior since uh, last March in a way that uh, reinforces uh, our desire to do this because that is how um, folks are processing knowledge these days. So uh, it has accelerated our efforts uh, and all of our efforts are really designed to simplify the interface 
get more assets and capability into the hands of our clients. And uh, we've just seen that doing it digitally is just far more effective and better than doing it um, face-to-face and voice-to-voice. Globalization is one of the great themes of our lives. And we've lived it, it's morphed, it's changed. BDC is helping SMEs along with EDC to be more international, if not global. You know, SME, hard to be global. Do you see firms in Canada, entrepreneurs wanting to be global from birth? How has globalization evolved in your time in the last 10, 15 years? So the the best way to answer that, I think, is through looking at um, kind of BDC capital and our venture capital business because we're um, Canada's most active uh, institutional investor in venture capital. So we have uh, a number of, of funds uh, on our own, and we're also an investor in other funds. So every year we invest somewhere between... I don't know, $300 million in venture capital. Uh, and we've invested in, I think, 80% of the funds that exist in the country. So we actually, we, we, we have a complete understanding of the market. And uh, what's interesting is that um, the vast majority of these companies are um, born global. Uh, the only way you can produce the type of returns that VC investors want is by tackling markets from day one outside of Canada. And uh, as the venture capital ecosystem becomes more and more robust, stronger and stronger, bigger and bigger, you find there are more Canadian companies as a result that are born this way. Uh, so it's been um, really positive. And these are companies that are that used to be the old worry, you know, these Canadian companies, if they um, uh, start selling into the U.S. and get U.S. money, they're going to leave Canada. It doesn't work that way anymore. And there's so many advantages to being in Canada. Um, with the um, the access to talent we have, um, we're relatively low cost versus Silicon Valley. That these companies that start in Canada, uh, I feel quite confident by and large will stay in Canada. So, um, but they are born to succeed globally, and you see them from 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 day one. Actually, they often have more success from day one in markets outside of Canada than in Canada, which is a problem we need to tackle. Uh, but it's um, uh, yeah, and these are becoming a bigger and bigger part of the economy. You're listening to the CEO series, and today we're speaking with Michael Denham, former CEO of the Business Development Bank of Canada, BDC, as it's better known, who stepped down earlier this month. I work for IBM and Hitachi and Oxford McGill. I've always worked for big organizations, and one could argue you have as well, McKinsey, Accenture, BDC, but you've talked to a stunning number of entrepreneurs. What is the heart and soul of an entrepreneur versus that of the corporate type? And can you go from one to the other. I mean, there are many examples, um, Laurent Baudouin, Serge Godin, that have gone from from one to the other, where they, they, they started businesses that were very, very small and became leaders of these fantastically successful global companies. But that's the exception. And I do think that um, what we see over time, you know, Carl, as companies grow, there's, there's, um, there are almost like thresholds of growth. Um, um, somewhere between zero and five million is a kind of threshold. Five to 100, there's a threshold there. And at each threshold, the the nature of leadership does change. And for the early stage companies, uh, you often, it, it is the founder who's the leader. And uh, it's a lot of um, uh, drive, passion, energy. Uh, this person often does uh, all the key senior jobs. And just through kind of f- energy and force of character and passion, this person can build his or her business from zero to five million. They need a little bit more structure. And as you get structure, you need to kind of work through that structure to keep the people in the structure um, uh, empowered and engaged, et cetera. So you have to, um, uh, you have to adapt and, and get comfortable hiring people, trusting people, working through people. And for a lot of founders, it's, uh, that's hard to do. And then as, that, as you get to these various thresholds, the, the leadership challenge does change. So it's rare that you'd find people that are able to, uh, super rare, that's why there's so few of them, they're able to kind of grow from kind of startup to kind of multi-billion dollar 
uh, because the skill sets are so different. When I think of McKinsey and BCG and so on, traditionally they've traveled all the time. And maybe that was one reason you moved down to Montreal was just to get off a plane, spend more time with the family. But like you haven't been in the office more than a few times this year. Do you think consultants will spend less time on a plane? And in fact, you have a lot of consultants at BDC. Have we seen a shift of, of the future of work? Yeah, it's such a good question. And I hate to, um, you hate to predict the future while we're still kind of knee-deep, waist-deep in, in a crisis. But you add to this the uh, importance of ESG and carbon footprint and carbon sensitivity. Uh, and I do think there'll be some changes. So I don't think, um, and what's interesting is, so venture capital, when you're doing a roadshow, for example, uh, historically, uh, it's incredibly time-consuming. And it's New York for a day, San Francisco, Atlanta, Austin, Texas, and you're basically, you're, you're ground down by kind of travel and presentations. Right now, you can, uh, and you do maybe a week of that to get to 15, 60 potential investors. You can get to 15 investors now in a morning through Zoom. So I think some, some things, and, and everybody benefits from that. So I think some things, it's so, it's so clearly better than the way it was, it's going to get locked in. To your question, though, about consulting and how consultants work with clients, et cetera, I don't know the answer. Because on one hand, um, you fly less, there's much better productivity, et cetera. But certainly for consulting firms that need to position the recommendation in the context of the culture of the client they're consulting to, you need shoulder-to-shoulder time with the client, which is just hard to get um, through sort of transactional Zoom calls. So I think it'll depend on the project. I think some projects can be done clinically, remotely. Some projects require more shoulder-to-shoulder cultural interaction. Um, But I think at the end of the day, it will mean less uh, travel and less dislocation versus the way it was uh, before the pandemic. Not entirely, but I think there'll be enough of a change that it'll be noticeable. We're speaking with Michael Denham, former CEO of Business Development Bank of Canada, better known as BDC, who stepped down earlier in July. Up next, we'll be continuing our conversation about the future of the workplace. I'm Carl Moore from McGill University, and you're listening to the CEO Series. Exclusive access to some of the most successful leaders out there. This is the CEO Series with Carl Moore on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Hello again, I'm Carl Moore from McGill University, and you're listening to the CEO Series. We're speaking with Michael Denham, former CEO of BDC Canada, as of earlier this month. As a senior leader, you have thousands of people across the country, but you're not out in Winnipeg and Calgary and Halifax you have been traditionally, how do you inspire and lead the troops on Zoom or remotely at least? What what have you learned? I've learned a few things. One is um, the key way to inspire and motivate the troops is to make sure that leaders down the line have the means to inspire and motivate the troops. Because it's the, it's the, for us, it's the business center manager, the regional VP, the regional SVP that has reason to be in touch with um, uh, their teams all the time. And those folks need to be excited and equipped to, uh, to inspire and motivate. So that's one thing that I've been, I've been focused on is making sure that um, those folks are um, uh, equipped. But then more directly to your question, Carl, the um, other thing that I have found a way to do is just um, communicate uh, directly to our teams through these kind of homespun videos every every uh, initially every every two weeks with just a sense of to try to clarify the matters for folks what's going on what matters at this point in time and those um those resonated Uh, we have yammer and internal chat groups so it's just a question of being um, out there visible responsive authentic um uh, staying in touch with people through non-face-to-face channels uh as best one can 
but the key thing for us looking back over the past 14 months was that uh, all the work that our, our, our down-the-line leaders did to um, keep people focused, um, kind of sane, engaged, and, and uh, doing the right thing. My son just started a summer job watching him go through the process of, of onboarding in a new company, working from home. And um, I thought I understood how hard it is, but seeing him go through it, it's really hard. And we've hired hundreds of people since the pandemic started. And thank God we've got leaders that have gone out of their way to explain the context and support and be present because there's so much to learn when you join any new company. To do it all uh, at home through Zoom is really hard. So our leaders have stepped up big time to make sure that not just not just new folks to BDC, but everybody stays connected and feels like part of the community. But something where you may not set up a half hour Zoom meeting, but you might run to someone in the hall or over coffee and go, or in a meeting might go, that was a great thing you just said, that that captured BDC at its best. So that kind of thing, but it, it, it's, it's spur of the moment in a sense. You mentioned being an authentic leader, and that's something we want to be, and, and Generation Z wants authentic leaders. How are you an authentic leader in your better moments? You've got to be who you are. And uh, especially in, in today's environment, call where there, there is no place to hide, right? Um, your social world interrupts your professional world. Social media is everywhere. So um, if you you can't you can't be a pretender. You can't be a pretender. You've got to you got to kind of be who you are um, and um, kind of be that way all the time. So that's um, kind of test number one. Um, are you do you have the the types of kind of values and integrity and skills so you can be yourself all the time uh, and um, uh, as a result be authentic. And the second thing is you got to, I think, make a point of, of putting yourself out there. So I've, I've um, like when I, when I arrived uh, here, the, um, my predecessor was Monsieur le Président. Uh, I became Michael. Um, the setup in the office was such that there was literally a locked door you had to get permission to enter to go see the president. Uh, I kind of took down the door. Uh, and then to your point, I'd, I'd, walk the, I'd walk the corridors, I'd visit business centers. I wouldn't have any um, kind of entourage with me. It was just me out there with our teams and um, kind of having drinks, having dinner, uh, having lunches, visiting clients together. Uh, and I just wanted to kind of be seen uh, so that people would, would hear from me what matters, what the priorities were. And you just do that a lot. You do it the same way every time. People talk about the visit with the CEO, and all of a sudden you're an authentic leader. So I think you just have to be your – hopefully leaders in place can be themselves and be good. And the more you kind of get out in traffic and talk to your um, – visit your teams, visit your people, the more word will spread and people will see you as authentic. And once you're deemed authentic, once you, you are authentic, once you're deemed authentic, it's a very important asset when it comes to um, being believed – being trusted because people just take you for your word, which is what you want as a leader. You're listening to the CEO series. I'm Carl Moore from McGill University. And today I'm speaking with Michael Denham, former CEO of the Business Development Bank of Canada, who stepped down just earlier in July. EDI, equity, diversity, and inclusion is an important topic in Canada. We've had, you know, the discovery of hundreds of Indigenous children. We have Black Lives Matter. These are the things that are pushing at us. How does BDC, how, is it, how have, the, in your better moments, responded to that over the last five or six years you've been here? What are you doing from a diversity viewpoint? And, and what is diversity in your mind? We think of this externally and internally, so I'll start externally. And externally, um, we, we use the word access, and it's making sure that, that all Canadian entrepreneurs, regardless of backgrounds, et cetera, have access to the financing and advice they need to grow their businesses. And if you look at the data, um, historically, that hasn't been the case. And... There would be um, um, women entrepreneurs, for example, 
indigenous entrepreneurs, black entrepreneurs that historically haven't got access to the same sources of financing and networks that uh, others have. Um, so we put in place programs to tackle that. So we launched, um, we finalized uh, in March um, what's called the Indigenous Growth Fund, where we're, we formed a new um, fund. Um, we're the lead investor. We're partnered with an organization called NACA, the National Aboriginal Capital Corporation. And through NACA, we will be um, uh, kind of lending to a network they're called AFIs, uh, Aboriginal Financial Institutions across the country. And these institutions, in turn, are part of Indigenous communities, wealthy entrepreneurs, and are really good lenders. So this is a way to get more capacity into their balance sheet to have them lend more to help more Indigenous entrepreneurs. So that's an example of something we did to support this group, Indigenous entrepreneurs that had a hard time accessing the financial system. Women entrepreneurs has been a priority for many years. Um, we launched the first um, Women in Tech Equity Fund, uh, venture capital equity fund uh, in the world, uh, because, uh, again, especially in uh, uh, venture capital of technology, uh, it has been difficult for female leaders to get access to what they need. Um, black entrepreneurs, two years ago, we announced the Black Entrepreneur uh, Loan Fund, uh, whereby we're, we're, we're working with an organization called FACE, the Federation of Afro-Canadian Economics, to provide access to uh, loans to um, black entrepreneurs. So um, these are starting programs, and the hope is that, that with our taking these, um, these kind of leadership actions vis-a-vis -vis these communities, we demonstrate to Canadians that as a lender, or as an investor, you can make good returns, proper returns, while supporting these communities, and others follow our lead. Um, Van City, big banks, what have you, so that we create this whole ecosystem around providing more access to um, uh, entrepreneurs that have typically had difficulty accessing the system. You're listening to the CEO series, and today we're speaking with Michael Denham, former CEO of the Business Development Bank of Canada, BDC, as is better known, who stepped down earlier this month. This might be an unfair question. I mean, I write a column with an Indigenous graduate student, so I've been talking a lot to Indigenous leaders. Has anything struck you as you, as you talk to them and go, the world I come from, Toronto, white boomer and that sort of thing, they live in a different world. Now there's prejudice, but there's strengths as well. Has any strengths jumped out at you in the conversation over the last few years that they know things we don't? Well, yes. And I think that's true, frankly, for um, uh, any community, uh, any group. And that's why uh, we've done our best through this Indigenous Growth Fund to actually partner with groups that are part of those communities. So we know... We know we're not. We know we know we don't have the reach to connect with indigenous entrepreneurs all over the country. We know there are organizations that um, that kind of do this for a living, that understand, that are part of the value set, that understand the attributes of the leaders they're lending to. So we said, well, look, let's not let's not try to do things that we're not um, wired to do. Let's partner with organizations that are doing great stuff already. Give them the wherewithal. Give them the resources, and uh, allow them to, uh, as a result, support the growth of entrepreneurs. When you think of diversity. Gender and race are the most important because of past discrimination. But when you look around the office, there's lawyers, there's accountants, there's prof different professions. There's other forms of diversity. What, what are some that, that strike you in your, your long career of diversity where people just look at the world differently than you do? Oh, so I agree. So I think race and gender clearly are the most, are the most important ones for reasons of history, et cetera. And most of the efforts we're taking internally uh, are designed to, um, to support those groups. But I remember back in the... Um, Gosh, early 90s, late 80s, um, when I was at McKinsey, we did um, one of the first organizations to actually embrace Myers-Briggs, which is one of many ways that, that get at diversity. And it's really just the diversity of how people think and work. And you, you tend to have a tendency everybody's just like you. 
you've done tons of research on this, extrovert, extrovert, introvert, et cetera, but how people communicate, how they process information, how they work together, we're all so different. And no style's better, no style's worse, they're different. And I think the more we acknowledge those differences, the better. So one thing that I, I encourage a lot of teams to do when they start is just kind of go around the table and find a way to share what your, that kind of, how you, how you, how you work, your likes, your dislikes, et cetera, so that we can all understand where teammates are coming from. And as a result, find common ground that allows everybody to be at their best. So I think just there's a lot of different, I mean, person by person, there's a ton of diversity just in terms of how our brains work and how we think and how we communicate. We're speaking today with Michael Denham, former CEO of BDC, who stepped down earlier this month of July. Coming up, we'll discuss what he plans to do next once he steps down from the role of CEO that he's occupied since 2015. I'm Carl Moore from McGill University, and you're listening to the CEO series. They made it, and they're telling you how. You're listening to the CEO series with Carl Moore on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Hello again, I'm Carl Moore from McGill University, and you're listening to the CEO series. We're speaking with Michael Denham, former CEO of BDC Canada, as of earlier this month. So, Michael, why are you stepping down? You've been here, you know, I've heard great reports of it. Why are you stepping down? It's been a great six years. I was signed, I signed up initially for a five-year term. And the way um, it works with uh, Crown Corporations, you have, you have specific terms. And I agreed to renew last year for uh, another short term, just, just one year to get through the crisis. Um, but that's kind of what I signed up for. And uh, uh, so it's, I'm sad to leave because this, this is such a special place and it's been such a great six years. We made a huge difference. Um, our performance is great. Um, we're uh, record levels of, of profitability, record levels of client satisfaction. So I'm leaving on a real high, which feels good. Um, but this was the plan. And I'll take the summer off and um, uh, I've got some new ideas I'll pursue in the fall and just open a, uh, another chapter in my professional life. I mean, it's weird because you're going to walk out of the office, look behind you, close the door, and you're going to walk out. How weird is that? But I guess you've done this a few times in your career. You know, this was the plan. This was the timing. And I just feel privileged in the sense that uh, um, I am leaving with BDC being in such good shape. I think any organization every five or six years, frankly, benefits from an injection of, of, of different leadership. Uh, and I think a combination of Isabel and our team will just uh, take BDC to even higher heights. They'll have different, um, they'll see things differently to how I saw them. Um, so the nice thing is BDC is in great shape now. We're fully capitalized, all that stuff. Uh, there's a nice platform on which to, um, uh, which to grow. So it feels, um, it feels satisfying because we've done an awful lot. It feels sad because I'll miss everybody. Um, but the timing feels good. What's your first glimmerings of what you might do in the fall? Any, any early thoughts at this point? Well, I have some, um, I have some ideas. I'm, I'm in discussion on a couple of fronts. What I'd like to do is, um, what I've seen at here is just the, um, the power of thoughtful finance to make a difference to kind of our economy and to Canadian companies. So I'd like to find a way to stay active in the world of finance. I'm not really looking to um, lead anything next. Um, I've had a big leadership job here and at Accenture uh, that was satisfying. But the more I can just just get myself um, stay in the world of finance and find a way to connect the, 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 the resources and the possibilities that the finance represents to Canadian companies to help them kind of grow and succeed. Um, uh, I'd be happy. So I'm working on, on some, some ideas on that theme. You're listening to the CEO series. I'm Carl Moore from McGill University. And today I'm speaking with Michael Denham, former CEO of the Business Development Bank of Canada, 
who stepped down just earlier in July. As a fellow boomer, do you feel a need to slow down physically, or is it more just, I've worked for 40 years, I've, I've worked like a dog at times, you know, is it just time for a slower pace, or is that just not on your mind? Well, I've been thinking about all the things that um, I've done for the past six years here and seven years at Accenture, and um, beyond anything else, the one thing I've really enjoyed is spending time with um, clients and spending time with business leaders. And what I'm trying to do is find a way to shed all the other stuff that I've had to do so that I can spend all of my time fully engaged, fully loaded, fully busy uh, with clients. And that's the type of role I'm trying to, trying to uh, craft. So it's not going to be any slower. It's going to be different in the sense that I'll be spending all my time in the market with business leaders. But that's, that's what motivates me. That's what I want to do. So I anticipate working as hard as ever, but with much more of a singular focus on client time. So the pandemic has been a good thing in the sense of family time, of being in the country more, reading more. In the early, early days, it was kind of, you know, men, the, the panic stations. Did you have to kind of say, calm down, Michael, don't work so much? Or did you have the good sense to take a balanced approach from the start? Well, you know what? The, um, it wasn't... Um for most of us here, it wasn't a balanced approach. Go back to last, like March, April, May, June. Uh, it was, um, I mean, our clients were on their knees, entrepreneurs were on their knees, and we didn't have the luxury of trying to find a balanced approach. We knew eventually we'd get back into balance, but there was so much we had to do so quickly that it wasn't it wasn't 24-7, but we were, all of us are working literally um, around the clock to uh, organize ourselves, to um, kind of get the money out, get the advice out to help clients uh, get going. What's interesting is you go back to um, then, and uh, it was uh, it was scary, right? Because we didn't quite know what the um, crisis would ha- would have for us. The government programs hadn't quite kicked in, and um, there were entrepreneurs that were calling us clients in tears because their lives were, their businesses were going under. They couldn't meet their obligations. Um, they were scared, uh, and you can't hear that from an entrepreneur and not want to work as many hours as you can to help. And that's the whole spirit that, that kicked in. Now, looking back, um, there's a whole host of fiscal issues we have to sort out federally, but looking back, um, the extensive programming and support the government provided basically has achieved the goal, by and large, of preserving the existing stock of companies. And um, bankruptcies are way down versus historic standards. Um, over time, they kept the number of companies that exist. We're down by about 20,000, which in the scheme of things, is, it's, um, it, it's not that much versus what could have happened. Um, so I think the overall macro objectives have been achieved at great expense, I recognize, at great um, federal deficit, I recognize, but, but, uh, but it's a much better place now than we were. We go back to the first few months and um, people were scared, people were petrified, and we had no choice. Um, we didn't want to do anything other than work as, as long as hard as we can to help. You're listening to the CEO series, and today we're speaking with Michael Denham, former CEO of the Business Development Bank of Canada, BDC, as it's better known, who stepped down earlier this month. In a summer off, what are you going to do? Go for walks, go hiking, uh, canoeing? What, what's your plans for the summer? A lot of family time. Um, I'll probably play a lot of golf. I'll probably play a lot of tennis. Uh, I tend to be active, go for a lot of walks. Uh, I'll read a lot, uh, mostly businessy stuff. Um, I tend to be more of a business reader than a, than a, than a novel, per se. Um, yeah. Get my body in shape. Get rid of my sore back. What book are you reading right now? I am just in the process of um, starting Mark Carney's book. 
not sure it's going to be a it's going to be a beach read, but I'll read it over the course of the summer. I'm looking forward to reading it. Actually, he's such a he's such a thoughtful so individual. Nice. Our kids are uh, two of our kids. Well, I have two, and you have three, but two are kind of on their own. One's still at home, and we have you know both at home, but they're you know in in, in university. It's much different being a dad now than it was ten years ago. Like, it's over. When I see people, small kids, I, I say to them sometimes, around sixteen, seventeen, it calms down because the kid will go out Friday night. Do you find it like it's a very different role as a dad now? Totally, totally. And they're, um, uh, as you say, they almost begin, the kids would hate to hear me say this, but they almost become friends, right? And we spend so much time as a family since the pandemic that um, I feel much more part of their lives than had been the case. Yeah, so it's, it's really, it's, it's, I think every, every age is different. Every age is incredibly satisfying, and this is just satisfying in a different way. When you look at your kids, they reflect you and your wife. DNA, obviously. But are you a, a, a slightly astonished how different they are? Like each one is unique and different than you and your wife? You know, we don't, that's not our, we don't have that. Our kids, our kids are, are obviously different to each other, different from us, but not in a, um, uh, not in that dramatic a way. So if you were to spend time with our kids, you'd say, yep, that's Michael's son. That's Lorna's son. So you can, you can see them, not only, they look a bit like one of or both of you, but they think a bit like you as well. So that's a scary thought in a way. Boy, too bad for them, right? <laughs> I think they'd be happy. So one's an investment banker, one's an aspiring management consultant, one's just finishing high school now. Um, but uh, I think they have similar, um, uh, I mean this in a good way, similar values to mine, um, similar interests. And uh, But again, they're not, the, it, again, much like me vis-a-vis my father, this, these apples haven't fallen too far from the tree. This is the CEO Series. Michael, thank you for joining us today and the best of luck in your future endeavors. We look forward to hearing about them. We also like to thank our technical producer, Marco Campagna. Thank you for tuning into the CEO series. À la prochaine.